is a long time to stand, isn't it? Yeah. The Spirit gives us the strength. Amen? All right. So today we get to uh, conclude, finally, we're going to actually really do it this time. We're going to conclude this series on the Apostles' Creed. And today I want to share with you a scripture lesson from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. These are the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church in Corinth and to you and me today too. And here's what he has to say. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For the countless promises that are ours through Jesus Christ. That literally every promise that you have ever made to your people throughout all time, even dating back to the Old Testament, is fulfilled in Jesus. Wow. Thank you, God. May we respond today with a hearty amen that we would believe and affirm this truth. So, Lord, as we gather today, remove any distractions, allow us to focus, allow us to hear your word and what it is that your spirit is saying to your church, even Grace Church, this very hour. So open our hearts, silence our lips, still our bodies and open our minds that we could receive what it is that your spirit is saying today. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So what do you do when the world around you goes crazy, when it seems that things are spinning out of your control? You get back to basics. You come back to the fundamentals. At least that's what we have been doing here at Grace Church since this past September. Some of you can still remember way back to September when we started this series on the historic Apostles' Creed. In the midst of a global pandemic, national protest, political upheaval, and even who knows, in the midst of our own personal problems and issues, we have returned to the very core of our faith, the very basics, the very fundamentals in this creed. For the Apostles' Creed, as I stated way back in September, and I'm sure everybody here remembers these four points. The Apostles' Creed, it reminds us of what it is that we really believe. It brings us back to the very core, the very fundamentals in this nice, succinct summary 
of Christian doctrine, the Apostles' Creed reminds us of really what it is that we believe. But beyond that, the Apostles' Creed roots us deeply in our biblical heritage. I'm, I'm glad that we are a creedal church. It's great to be a Bible church, but the problem with that is that Bible interpretation often changes from one pastor to another or from one time to another. The creedal churches, like the Reformed Church, hold to certain standards of faith as they are summarized as we understand Scripture, and they serve as a kind of plumb line throughout history to keep us on track. Amen? We are rooted by the Apostles' Creed. Number three, we are related to each other, to Christians, in fact, all around the world from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Just think, when we recite this creed, we're doing so with people in languages that we don't even understand all around the world, and yet we are one in Christ. And the fourth thing that this creed has done for us is that it revives us through God's truth upon which it is based. How many of you know that when you know the truth, the truth shall set you free? Amen? Amen. And so as we study these core truths, we too can be revived in them. We can be made alive and renewed through this study. I don't know about you, but I hope that you have enjoyed this series as much as I have enjoyed bringing it to you. It's been quite a journey. For together, we have discovered that, number one, there is a God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Amen? I believe in God. There is a God, a powerful, purposeful, and a personal God who created and who cares for this world, including you and me. We have come face to face with Jesus the Christ, God's Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, yet born of the Virgin Mary, fully God and fully human, the one person, the one being who stands in between a holy God and sinful humanity to bridge this gap, to heal the rift between you and God because of your sin. Amen? We've come face to face with this Jesus who died and who rose again. We've seen this Jesus die a gruesome death by crucifixion, be laid in a stone-sealed cold tomb, descend into hell, and yet rise again on the third day to set us free from sin and Satan and death. We've also seen this Jesus assume his rightful place as the King and Lord that we've just sung about by ascending into heaven and sitting on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We took some extra time during the season of Advent to focus on that phrase, from there he comes to judge the living and the dead. And we focused this past Advent not quite as much on the first coming, but more on the second coming of Jesus and what that would be like. We took the month of December to do that. We also professed our belief in the Holy Spirit, the fact that we are never alone in this world, but that we have a constant companion and comforter and counselor and catalyst who walks with us daily. We spent four weeks considering the Holy Catholic Church, this great universal church that is comprised of believers from every nation, tribe, and tongue throughout all time and space from the beginning to the very end, all who believe in Jesus and we also took that opportunity to focus on our unique part in this holy Catholic universal church. What is the unique vision and mission of Grace Church? And we, we reviewed that. We renewed that together. 
We considered the beautiful doctrine of the communion of the saints. The fact that there is hope for unity in our world through the church today. We witnessed a dramatic presentation with appearances by King David and Peter and Barabbas depicting the forgiveness of sins. We celebrated the fact that we too will be raised to newness of life. I believe in the resurrection of the body. We talked about it on Easter. The fact that we too will be raised with Jesus by faith and given new spiritual bodies. And we spent the last couple of weeks unpacking what it means, what this everlasting life really means. And we even focused last week on the beauty and the blessedness and the brilliance of our heavenly home to which you as believers are destined to go. It's been a great journey. Oh, but hold it. We're not quite done yet. There's one more word. It's just a little four-letter word. That's it. You get an A for the day. When's the last time you heard a complete sermon on the word amen? I don't think I've ever heard one before, and let alone have I ever preached one today, uh, preached one. But today we cannot forget about this one little word, amen. What does it mean? Why is it there? Why do we say this word at the end of prayers and hymns and creeds? I mean, is it just a convenient way to say the end or, you know, kind of like signing off now or over and out, Roger? (laughs) You know, that's it. Or could it be that this word amen actually has meaning? Most of us say the word routinely without ever really thinking about it. But today, my assignment is to help us to fix that. The word amen is used 52 times in the Bible. Most often it comes at the end of a statement as an affirmation of its truth. And yet Jesus sometimes used it at the beginning of statements. In the King James Version, we used to read when Jesus would speak, Verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say to you, And sometimes that's translated, amen, amen, I say to you. Amen may be the only word in our entire vocabulary that is pronounced the same in all languages of the world. For whatever reason, the word amen has not been translated, it's been transliterated. Which means that when we say amen, we are literally saying the same exact word that has been uttered as a confirmation of belief for thousands and thousands of years. It means that we are speaking the same words spoken by the priests, prophets, and even the Lord Jesus himself. So what does it mean? Simply put, the word amen means may it be so or so be it. This is true. I believe this is true. Our passage today in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The good news is that God is glorified when we say Amen and mean it. Can I get an Amen? amen. All right, we're off. 
Let me break it down. There are three meanings to this word, amen, that I want to share with you. We're going to kind of peel these back like peeling back an onion today, and I hope nobody's going to cry. Uh, but we're going to peel back the layers of meaning today, and I want to share with you three of them. This whole sermon on this one little word. Number one, it means I agree with my head. Just say it with me. I agree with my head. This is the obvious, the most superficial use of the word. When we say amen, we agree with what has just been said. It might be during a sermon, a statement, or after a song. It could be at the end of a prayer, a hymn, or a creed. Amen in its most basic level simply means I agree. I agree intellectually in my head with what I've just heard. I believe that what you have said is quite true. We might say it individually or we could say it corporately as in worship. For example, in Deuteronomy 27, Moses is giving instructions. He is giving the Levites rules for the people and giving the people the proper response to those rules, which is to say the word, Amen. Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the craftsman's hands, and sets it up in secret as an idol to bow down to it. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is the man who dishonors his father or his mother. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who leads the blind astray on the road. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the alien, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. And it goes on and on. There's more and so forth. And you've probably heard me or other preachers say, as we have today, um, that all the, uh, let all the people, let all God's people say, Amen. And that comes from this particular passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 27. When the word amen is used in this way, it is an affirmation that what has just been said is true and good and worthy of our response. As we hear the truth of God's word, we should be able to say amen. And just so you know, it's okay even for Dutch people or for reserved Germans to say the word out loud. Just ask our Baptist friends. They know all about this, right? So can I get an amen? amen? All right, we're ready to go. Are you really willing to say amen to the truth of God? So first off, it means simply I agree with my head. Number two, it means I accept with my heart. Say that with me. I accept with my heart. And this is the second layer or level of what amen means. Uh, we all know that agreement in the head does not necessarily mean acceptance in one's heart. There's a big difference. We sometimes refer to it as the 14-inch difference. That's the approximate distance between one's head and one's heart. You see, it's not enough to merely have it in your head. Even the demons admitted that Jesus was the Son of God, Mark chapter 1. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, the demons had it right before a lot of people did. They knew who Jesus was, the Holy One of God. But that doesn't mean that they accepted him into their hearts. It's one thing to affirm and agree with something intellectually. It is a way different other thing to accept it into our heart, to trust it by faith. You know, the fact is, there's always a gap 
between what we, what we say, what we profess with our lips, what we kind of know intellectually, and what we practice in our hearts, what we actually believe in our heart, what we trust God for. And, and the challenge, it seems to me, of Christian maturity and growth is to be shrinking that gap between what we say and what we profess, even on Sunday mornings or through a creed or through a song, and how we are living that out in the week. I've shared with you before the story of the man who, who had a tightrope strung across the Niagara Falls, and he gathered a bunch of people, and he said, how many of you think that I could walk this tightrope across the falls and back again? And they cheered him on, and they go, we believe, we believe, we know you can do it, you can do it. And so the man set out to walk the tightrope across the Niagara Falls, and he got there, and he got to the Canadian side, he said, hey... And then he went back again, and he came, and he got back, and they all cheered, and they go, oh, we knew you could do it, we knew you could do it. And then he said, now, how many of you believe that I could take a wheelbarrow and wheel it across at the same time on the tightrope and back again? And they said, we believe, we believe, and they all cheered him on, we believe. And so he took the wheelbarrow, and he just an empty wheelbarrow across, and he got to the other side, and he turned it around, A, to his Canadian friends, and he pushed it back, and there he was. And they're like, oh, that was great, that's great. They cheered him on. So he said, for a third question, he said, how many of you believe that I could take a person and put it in to the wheelbarrow and wheel that person across the tightrope and back again? And they all said, we believe, we believe, we know you can do it, you can do it, we believe you can, do it, do it. He goes, great, who will be the volunteer? <laughs> who will get into the wheelbarrow? And everybody, dead silence. Don't look at me. There's a difference between believing with your head and believing with your heart. Trusting in faith. Jesus calls all believers to put their faith where their mouth is to sort of get into the wheelbarrow, so to speak. Hebrews 11 provides a great definition. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. We just said it in our call to worship this morning. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not just that you can do it some of the time. It's impossible to please God without faith because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then that familiar verse that we're all familiar with, probably have it memorized. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. And a lot of people think, oh, well, I believe. I just have to believe. Well, I believe, oh, yeah, Jesus is God's son. Well, no, not exactly. In the original language, in the Hebrew, the word believe here has been translated believe in English, but it's the original word pistuo in Greek, and it means much more than intellectual belief. It means to adhere to, to cling to, to trust, to surrender to. And so what John is saying when he summarizes that word is that for all of those who surrender to Jesus, who trust Him, who cling to Him, those are the ones who will not die but have everlasting life. Amen. Our task as Christians with the words of the Apostles' Creed is to not merely agree with these truths 
intellectually, but to accept them into our hearts. Have you translated these wonderful truths into trust? Will we allow these truths to change us, to comfort us, to challenge us? You know, Jesus had harsh words for those who had turned a relationship with God into a mere intellectual proposition of truths and and words, lip service. He says in Matthew 15, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He said, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their, their hearts are far from me. Where's your heart today? What is the condition of your heart before God? You see, that's what Jesus, that's what God is interested in. Beliefs can start in our heads, that's fine, but they must sink into our hearts. What difference does it make in your heart? That you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Does it make a difference for you personally? That God is a loving Father? That He is the creator of this world and everything in it? And how does that affect how we take care of this world? What difference does it make to know that Jesus was sent into the world and that He died for you, for your sins, that you might live and be set free? Have you let that sink into your heart? How does knowing that Jesus was fully God and fully human help you to cope and deal with your own humanity, your own shortcomings? Does the fact that Jesus is now reigning in heaven give you any comfort and calm in the midst of the chaos and confusion of today's world? Does your belief in the Holy Spirit translate into a comfort that God is with you no matter what? You're never alone. How does the teaching that Jesus is returning to judge the living and the dead, how does that affect you? How does that spur on your witness to those who don't yet know Jesus? What does the forgiveness of sins mean to you personally? The fact that all of your sins, past, present, and future, have been wiped away deleted by God? Does the hope of heaven, does the hope of a newly spiritual body, how does that affect your view of the future? How does that give you hope for today? You see, the Apostles' Creed is nothing but dry dogma or intellectual assent If we do not allow these truths to translate into trust, the truth of the Apostles' Creed is beautiful and attractive. May it also comfort you as you place your trust in the truth, in the God of truth. May our amen at the end not merely be an affirmation of agreement, but also an acceptance in trust. And thirdly, The word amen means not only that I agree with my head or accept with my heart, but that I activate with my hands. Say it with me. 
I activate with my hands. I'll never forget an illustration that singer and songwriter Sheila Wall shared at a concert I attended while in college, and I've shared it before. She said that after her concert, a man came up to the stage at a, at a previous concert and had complimented her on the music and her vocals, and, but he had said very proudly, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in your God. And Sheila said, well, that's interesting. Now, tell me, why not? And the man said, I don't believe in your God because if your God is all that you say that He is and all that you claim the Bible says about Him, if He's really that great and that powerful and that wonderful, he said, then I think Christians should be doing a whole lot more to tell other people about Him. He said, I would be walking across glass to tell people about Jesus. If this God that you profess and that you claim is really true. But he said, I don't see that. He said, I see believers that barely dare to lift a finger or to speak the word of God or Jesus. They're embarrassed. And he said, for that reason, I don't believe it at all. And the man had a point, did he not? Why are we so hesitant to speak the name of Jesus in the break room, at work, with our friends, in the health club, in the office, with our family members? Why are we hesitant to actually go and Maybe knock on a door or pass out a flyer or extend an invitation. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses when the power of the Spirit comes on you. You are the light of the world. But don't hide your light under a bushel. James 2 says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so the deepest layer and level of amen is not merely to agree intellectually or accept it by faith, but to actually put deeds behind the words. The word and the deed go hand in hand, said Paul Abdul. Right? You remember the song. That is to live this truth out in concrete actions, to work for it with your hands, to build this truth in our lives and in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our communities, in our church, and in our world. These beliefs that we profess are not merely some man-made invention. We didn't make it up. No, it is making us. It is making me and it must change me, and it must change what I do and how I act and the deeds that I do in this world. Amen. Our challenge as believers is to take these beliefs in word and deed into building a new world, the world based on God's truth, the very kingdom of God. God wants us to create a new reality, 
a reality that will last into eternity. The Apostles' Creed is not just a core set of beliefs that we agree to intellectually or find comfort in as we accept them into our hearts, but it is also a call to action and to mission in today's world, is it not? These are the truths that the world needs to know. This is the summary of the gospel of Jesus that people so desperately need to hear and need to see in action as we live out and show and share the love of God, of Jesus, with others. These beliefs are a blueprint for a new world, the new reality that is already upon us in Christ and will one day be fulfilled at His second coming. A world that is coming, a world that we have the privilege of participating in and promoting even now today. And every time we live into these truths and we order our lives by them, we bring just a little bit of the kingdom of God to reality in our life, in our little corner of the world. With deeds of kindness, deeds of love, sharing your faith, speaking the name of Jesus, giving praise to Him. By saying amen, we testify that we give our lives to these things. We agree, we accept, and we activate this truth now in our lives and world. And so it is my prayer, as your pastor and friend, that these truths will shape our lives and the life of Grace Church. And so now you've heard a sermon on one little word. If anybody could do it, I knew I could. Yeah, that's right. You know, let's give it a full 25 minutes. Thanks, Steve. Amen. Amen. So here's the challenge. Maybe there's just one truth in the Apostles' Creed that you can apply. Maybe there's another one next week and another one the week after that. But for this week, here's your assignment. Take just one truth in the Apostles' Creed, something that means something. Maybe it's just the first phrase. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Just that much and just dwell on it and ponder that this week and think about how you can not just agree with it but accept it by faith, what that means for your life and how you can activate it now with your hands. Because that one little word, amen, is so much more than the end. <laughs> Signing out, over and out, Roger. 10-4. There's so much in that one little word. And now you know. May we never say it quite the same again. Let us stand and say what we believe with the church throughout the ages, the historic apostles' creed. Let us say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated.